Uh, if you have your Bibles, Matthew chapter 25. Matthew 25, we're going to start in verse 31, um, and I want to preface a number of things as we get ready to jump into this. Uh, the reality of the afterlife is one of those things that we talked about a couple weeks ago um, that we said a lot of people don't like to talk about. Matter of fact, whether you talk about heaven or hell or death or anything like that, most people really don't want to talk about it, right? Like we try and avoid the conversation. We want to move on to something else. Like, like I said, when my dad wanted to start talking to me about prepping for the future when he was diagnosed with cancer and what would happen, it was like one of those things. I was like, Dad, I really don't want to talk about this. Like he's talking finances. He's talking wills, testaments. You know, here's what I need you to do for your mom, all these things. And I'm like, I, like for most of us, we would sit back and go, I, I really don't want to talk about those things. But the reality is we have to talk about the afterlife. And as a matter of fact, today, I would say, is one of the hardest sermons. It's oftentimes an offensive topic. Most people don't like to talk about those eternal things. As a matter of fact, don't like to talk about the afterlife. But the topic or doctrine of, of this topic today, the doctrine of hell, doesn't or shouldn't bring joy to our hearts. As a matter of fact, it's a heavy sermon. Um, that when you talk about it, most people, if you grew up in an old school traditional Baptist church, you'd hear people say, hellfire and brimstone, right? Like, that's the type of sermons we want, hellfire and brimstone type sermons. You guys obviously weren't that type of, right, Bob, <laughs> right? But that's, that's oftentimes what took place. Oftentimes we hear people say things like this, I'm mad as hell. My feet hurt like hell. That scared the hell out of me, right? And we, we make statements like that, and it's one of those things that oftentimes we, we, we kind of overlook or, or maybe think about it and don't really even go beyond it. And hell is no easy topic to discuss. As a matter of fact, C.S. Lewis said it this way in his book, The Problem of Pain. I would love to discard the doctrine of hell. But if Christianity is the story of reality, then we can't pick and choose which, uh, which bit of reality to believe and which to reject. And I would sit back and say, as a, as a pastor, when you start to read Scripture, it's one of those things that when you read it, it's like, man, this is like this really uncomfortable topic that we oftentimes don't like to talk about, think about, deal with. As a matter of fact, it's going to be a heavy topic. You know, we could have titled the sermon title, The Highway to Hell. Or hell's bells. Or eternity. Smoking or not. Right? We can go down all of those roads and we kind of laugh about them, right? But you've probably heard people say things like this. Well, I'll split hell wide open. Or I'm going to party in hell. And all of those tend to come from a false idea of what the doctrine of hell is. As a matter of fact, I would even say that believers oftentimes have a, a misunderstanding about hell. So if you have your Bibles, Matthew chapter 25, and again, I say this, if this is your first Sunday, you're going to go walk out and be like, oh my gosh, that's like the heaviest sermon. And I'm going to tell you point blank, I wish there was some way I could say, hey, I don't like, I, I, I don't, like you, you talk about hell, you don't like it. Like it shouldn't bring joy to our heart and we can bring it up and, and and shove it in somebody's face or say, this is what we believe. But at the same time, it's a reality that we have to deal with. So Matthew chapter 25, 
starting in verse 31. And it says this, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his throne in heavenly glory. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd shepherd, uh, shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. Say that five times fast. He will put the sheep on the right and the goats on the left. Verse 34, then the king will say to those on the right, come you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. And then the righteous will answer him. Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go and visit you? And the king will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did, for one of the least of these brothers of mine you did for me. Verse 41, he says, then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed into an eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you did not look after me. And they also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick and in prison and did not help you? He will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Verse 46, then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. You know, I talk about and we joke about like the titles of the sermon, right? Like, are you on the highway to hell or are you ringing hell's bells? You know, there was this, this uh, relief pitcher for the Padres who every time he would come out uh, from the bullpen to go in and close the game, he came into hell's bells. And most of the hitters would tell you if they had to face them, that's kind of what they felt like, like they were facing hell. As a matter of fact, if you were to look at the last week, some of you might think that hell actually froze over. <laughs> and it's no easy topic to discuss. And here's the reason why. Because deep down inside, I would like to say, man, it doesn't matter but it does. Deep down in, like, in, in, in my mind, I would like to say, man, maybe it's just not all that simple. But the reality is it is. Matter of fact, did you know that 70 times Jesus spoke about or referred to hell? Matter of fact, he referred to hell more than he referred to heaven. Now, we always love to talk about heaven, right? Like, I mean, the reality is if you know somebody's in heaven, we, we love to talk about that. Matter of fact, there was a statistic not too long ago from Pew Research that said 87% of people claim to believe in God. Only 74% believe in heaven. 58% believe in hell, and only 2% believe they'll be in hell. So I want you to see the drastic difference of what's going on. And there are various viewpoints. As a matter of fact, if you were to go online, you would probably find some Christian pastors who would say they believe that hell is a metaphorical place. Like, 
There's the literal ideology, which is what we would say is what we hold to or what I hold to, what I believe Scripture promotes, which is a literal heaven and a literal hell. And then there are people who believe it's metaphorical. It's a picture of life apart from Christ. And all I can argue is this. If you believe that hell is metaphorical, then based upon that same belief and assumption, what's preached or what's, what's written in Scripture is then, then, then heaven is metaphorical. And if that's the case, some people would say that hell is a place on earth, right? In the old adage or the old words of whatever her name was, Tiffany or whoever, ooh, heaven is a place on earth, what is it? Oh, Belinda Carlisle, my bad, sorry, showing my, I don't remember names very well, but, but heaven is not a place on earth, and hell might feel like that, or I mean, earth might feel like that for some, but I want you to think about it this way. I want us to look at what scripture says, because I think it's a proper understanding to look at what the Bible says, not what somebody else says. And listen, a lot of people would have arguments for the metaphorical reason and things like that. But if you, were to, if you were to look at Scripture, then you would have to identify that if hell is metaphorical, then so is heaven. And I want us to think about this in reality. There is a, a, a pastor, preacher, an artist that for years was kind of, seemed to be mainstream of what was going on. A guy named Rob Bell, he wrote a number of books, Velvet Elvis, and, and, or I think whatever. And, and he wrote a book called Love Wins. And Rob Bell, in, in his statement, says this, I actually think there is a hell because we see hell every day. Greed, injustice, rape, and abuse. We see hell on earth all around us all the time. Now, what Rob Bell would go on to say is that love wins in this book, and that doesn't matter what you believe or who you are or what's going to go on, that love wins out and that hell is only a metaphorical place that is here on earth right now. But I want us to look at what Scripture says. As we looked at Matthew 25, we're going to look at a number of things. I want you to know this, that Daniel chapter 12, verse 2 says this, multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake. This is talking about the, the second judgment when Jesus will come back. It says, multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life and others to shame and everlasting contempt. So it was common understanding within Old Testament scripture where you would hear words like Sheol and Hades and things like that, that there was a place called hell that existed. But what we need to know is what the Bible says about it. And there are multiple areas and multiple places you can look. Mark chapter 9, Matthew chapter 25, Matthew chapter 16, and things like that. But I want you to know this. If you remember anything else, that hell is a real place, and God does not want you there. Please hear me out when I say that. God does not want you there. The point of a sermon like this is to simply sit back and say, it is a legitimate, real, literal place according to Scripture, and God doesn't want you there. A lot of people think, well, if God created it, he must have wanted to send people there. And today we're going to look at what that literally looks like. So here's what I want you to see. I've got four things that we're going to look at or that I believe that are, are key for us to know. Number one, hell is a real place, right? The majority of biblical teaching on hell comes from Jesus. Some 70 times he brings it up. He strikes terror into the heart 
of the individuals he talks about. Because he says, hell is full of weeping and gnashing of teeth. It is a fire that is not quenched. There is a worm that never dies. It's outer darkness. People there will be tormented by flames and past memories. Those are all references that Jesus uses in the Gospels to talk about hell. So hell is a real place. And it reminds us that there's accountability before God and that there are consequences of separating ourselves from him. And those consequences are dire and miserable. And so make no mistake about it, when we talk about this idea of hell, it's important to talk about this idea from the understanding that God doesn't want anybody to go to hell. It's not his desire. It's not his passion. It's not like he went back and went, that's exactly what my intent was. I'm going to send you all to hell. Matter of fact, the Bible is very clear that he says he created heaven for us. But hell has a purpose. It's a real place. Matthew chapter 28, or sorry, Matthew chapter 10, verse 28 says this, do not be afraid of those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. It is vitally important for us to understand exactly what God wants to cover. Now, There are a number of terms, if you were to read the Bible, that you're going to see throughout, they're going to talk about things. You're going to hear hear things like this. Sheol, right? If you were to read like uh, Jonah and the whale, it says he went to the depths of Sheol, right? Like to the bottom of the ocean. And then he's eaten up by the whale. You'll you'll hear things like that all throughout the Old Testament. Sheol, you'll hear Hades. As a matter of fact, it's an identification, really, of what we'll call a holding cell, a confinement, Right, And so what we look at or what we see is oftentimes this, that there are kind of two versions, right, or two areas. You have Hades, which is the confinement period from the time you and I die until the second judgment. And likewise, they're kind of really basically, I don't want to call them two heavens because it's not really two heavens, but there's heaven that when you and I die, we're going to go to heaven. And then in Revelation chapter 21 and 22, it talks about the new heavens and the new earth after the second coming of Jesus, after the white throne judgment of what takes place. In other words, all of those who are dead will be judged again. Those who are in Hades and those who are in heaven will be judged. And then those who are in Hades will be thrown into what's called Gehenna. As you look at at your Bible, Gehenna, you'll see in Revelation chapter 20, um, Gehenna is the eternal lake of fire. Now, I want to give you an idea where we get the term Gehenna. Outside of Jerusalem, to the south of Jerusalem, was this deep valley where they would go and burn trash. It's constantly smoldering, always burning, it stunk. And there, in this gorge, they would use to burn trash. But I also want you to know that if you were to read 2 Kings chapter 23, Jeremiah chapter 7, verses 31, and then Jeremiah 32 through 35, you would know that back in the day, there were people who followed the Ammonite god, or the Amorite god Moloch, that would actually sacrifice their children by burning them to death. And it was called the Valley of Hinnom. And when you put those into, con- into the context of what we got, that's where they get the word Gehenna. In other words, there's a place of burning, a place of misery, a place of pain, a place, a place of suffering. And so the reason why I look at hell as a literal place is because the Bible, in my opinion, says very clearly 
that it's a literal place. Literal is described in Scripture. No hell, then the Bible is a book of myths. If there's no hell, then Jesus was a misguided soul. If there is no hell, then the crucifixion is pointless. If there's no hell, then I can do as much sinning as I want, and I have no problems, no consequences, or anything else like that. If it's metaphorical, if it's just a description of what goes on, then the problem then we have to do is this. Do we take everything as metaphor within Scripture? In other words, descriptive. It's just a description. So in that case, then Belinda Carlisle might be right because heaven might be a place on earth because it would be a metaphorical. So hell is a real place. Number two, I want you to know is this, that hell has a purpose. Look at verse 41 in Matthew chapter 25. It says, Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. What's the purpose for hell? What's it say? Who was hell prepared for? The devil and his angels. Now, it's important for us to understand how that plays out, right? When Satan fell, when we see Satan go against God, Satan fell and he's cast out from God's presence and he is going to go to hell. God created it for him. God set it aside. It's eternal separation from God. It's going to be all of those things. And it says that the eternal fire or hell was prepared for the devil and his angels. Do you see anywhere in there your name or the names of people? No? It's prepared for the devil and his angels. So it's very clear that it's set up that way. As a matter of fact, if you were to look at verse 34, I want you to notice this. It says, then the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed by the father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. What was heaven prepared for or created for? Us. For God's creation. And it says that he's created it since the creation of the world. He was preparing it for his people. So heaven is a real place. Heaven, or sorry, hell is a real place. Hell has a purpose. Heaven was prepared for people. Hell was prepared for Satan. But hell is God's great complement to the reality of human freedom. Matter of fact, it's important for us to know that God is a respecter of persons. God respects you. God loves you. And God allows you to choose where you're going to go. There's this thing in, in, in Scripture where it says that the Holy Spirit calls or draws or is working on your heart. And it says there are times where God is knocking on the door and he's knocking and knocking and you have a chance to what? Answer. Romans chapter 1, as a matter of fact, I love this verse because when you dig into it, you'll understand what's going on. Romans chapter 1 verse 18 says, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who, get this, suppress the truth by the wickedness or by their own wickedness. In other words, God is knocking on the door. God is drawing. He's using the Holy Spirit to call you, to point you to, to the truth, to lead you to Christ. And he's knocking, he's drawing, he's calling. And it says, as a result of the wickedness and the evil within my heart, I suppress the truth. In other words, I reject God. And so when we talk about this idea that hell is a real place, but I want you to know that hell has a purpose. 
And that purpose is this, that when you reject God, when you walk away from God, when you push God away, when you don't accept his free gift, when you say, I'm not going to answer the door, I'm not going to listen to your calling, God says, I'm going to respect your wishes. Because he's a respecter of persons. He allows people to choose by faith, through God's grace, what's going to happen. And I believe that the Bible is very clear in Romans chapter 1. He says that we suppress it because of our godlessness and the wickedness who suppress the truth. Since what may be known about God is plain to them. Matter of fact, we talked about that God writes it on our heart, that eternity is written on our hearts. And it's been plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, and his divine nature have clearly been seen, being understood from what has been made so that men are without an excuse. So when I talk about this idea that hell has a purpose, please understand very clearly that God created hell not for you and not for me and not for even our friends that don't believe right now. God created it for Satan and his angels, but the reality is that free will oftentimes leads people to choose to reject. And what I mean by that is this. The wickedness in an individual's heart says there's no way. That can't be true. Jesus on the cross? Nope. That sounds too easy. It's got to be works. It's got to be more. Jesus can't be the only way. All of these things play out, and it's important to understand that when we know this, that hell has a purpose, and we can end up there because of a lack of of making a decision to follow him. Listen, free will, Charles Spurgeon said this, free will carried many a man to, uh, many a soul to hell, but never a soul to heaven. Your freedom has become the new absolute in our society. And that relativism has become the default position in our culture. If it feels good, do it. You don't tell me what's right or what's wrong. Because that's not up to you. And so freedom has literally become, I want you to know this in reality, freedom has become a God in our society. And we allow that freedom to say, I'm going to do whatever the heck I want. And as a result of that, listen, hell has a purpose. And God is a respecter of persons. Hell violates the absolute of relativism. Do you realize that? Hell violates the absolute of relativism, and to many in our culture, the existence of hell would undermine an individual's own freedom. Revelation chapter 20, I'm going to flip over there real quick and and read it. Revelation chapter 20, and I think it's important for us to just kind of focus on this in a very simple way. Revelation 20, starting in verse 10, says this. Sorry, flip there. And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning fire. Somebody tell me what the devil just did. What did he say? Deceived them. And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur. That's kind of the idea of Gehenna. It's the eternal one where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. And then I saw the great white throne of him who was seated on it. This is that great white throne judgment that I was talking about. Earth and sky fled from his presence and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. That means famous and not famous, 
impacting and non-impacting. All of those older, younger, standing before the throne, and books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. You guys get the picture of what's going on. Like when you and I face the white throne judgment, there's going to be books before God and he's going to pull out and he's going to say, this is what you did and this is what you didn't do. And if your name's written in the book of life, you're fine. If your name's not, it's not going to be. And here's the reality. Like how many, where, where, are, where are scrapbookers? Do people even do that nowadays? I don't know. Like, everybody's got their phones. Like, scrapbook. I just pull up Facebook and look at memories. What are you talking about? When we face that judgment time, there are going to be books before, and it's going to have a record of everything that you and I did. Like, man, I'm kind of like, woo. Like, I joked around, but I tell you, I know what I was back in high school. I know what I did. I know what's going to be brought up, and I know, but here's the reality. If my name's written in the Lamb's Book of Life, all that's going to be mentioned, my faith and trust is in Jesus. I believe in Jesus. Hell is a real place, and hell has a purpose. See, there's no debate about guilt. There's prosecution, but no defense. There's judge, but no jury. There's a sentence and no appeal. There is punishment, but there will not be parole. That is exactly what we see right here in Revelation chapter 20. As I go on, it says, The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and the death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. Remember what I was talking about? Death and Hades? Hades versus Gehenna? There are two kind of, I won't call them levels because that really seems misleading, but there are two hells. There's hell right now, the holding prison, until there is the great white throne judgment, at which time all of those. It says, Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire, and the lake of fire is the second death. If anyone's name was not found in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Please hear me out when I say this. Hell has a purpose, and the purpose is not for you. But a rejection of God's grace, God's gift. Is reserved for those who reject God. Number three, I want you to know that this, according to scripture... Hell is full of pain and dreadful torment. It's full of pain and dreadful torment. Matthew chapter 25, verse 41. It says, eternal fire prepared for the devils. If you look at verse 46, it goes on and it says, then they will go away to eternal punishment. Right? You ever heard the statement, we're going to party in hell? I, 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 I can't convey this enough, there's not going to be party. Matter of fact, I think sometimes our ideas are like, there's going to be a bunch of people who are going to be down there. I think it's going to be solitary confinement. I'm going to be relating with other people. It's going to be eternal torment. It's going to be pain. It's going to be misery. People will say this, like, I look forward to hell, or I'm going to split hell wide open. In reality, what you're saying is you are self-appointing yourself as God. Like you think all of a sudden that you're going to usurp God's authority or Satan's authority over what goes on, and you're not. Revelation chapter 14 says that those who go to hell will drink of the wine of God's fury and torment. 
So maybe you'll party, but you're going to be drinking the wrong stuff. You're going to drink the wine of God's fury. The Bible says there's going to be weeping and gnashing at teeth. Anybody ever get so mad that you're like, you almost stutter, right? If you were to read the book of Acts, Acts chapter 7, when, when Stephen is getting ready to be stoned, it says that the, those who were getting ready to stone him gnashed their teeth at him. It's the idea of this anger, this vengeance, this lack of words, and they're just chomping at the bit to, to get over, to do what they need to do, weeping and gnashing of teeth. Why? Because they're still angry at God. Matter of fact, Matthew chapter 13, I'm going to flip over there just to read real quick. Matthew chapter 13, verses 41 and 42 say it this way. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil, and they will throw them into the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. He who has ears, let him hear. And that's in the words of Jesus. So another reference to that. It's important for us to know exactly what's going on. If you have your Bibles, you can flip over to Luke chapter 16. Luke chapter 16, verse 19. There's this story uh, that Jesus gives. It's not a parable, so it's not made up. But in Luke chapter 16, verse 19, there's the, the rich man and Lazarus, right? And in this story, it says there was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. And at his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. And the time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. In hell, where he was in torment, he looked up and he saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in the water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things. While Lazarus received bad things, but now he is in comfort here, and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you is a great chasm has been fixed, so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. It's important for us to keep this in mind, that we understand the agony of what's going on. And so in verse 27, he says, Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my father's house, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them, so that they will not also come to this place of torment, and God gives the warning consistently and constantly. See, God's justice is given out, and I want us to think about this. You know, when we talk about eternal, it's everlasting. There are viewpoints that people would say that there's this idea of universalism, right? Universalism is that all people go to heaven, that love wins out. But I want us to think about it this way. If that's the case, then what about people like Hitler? Stalin? What about like the BTK killer? Or Charles Manson? And I want to be very clear, like God's forgiveness goes right up to the point of death. But when you go to the grave, cursing God, denying Jesus and living a life full of sin, then you have chosen the path that you decided you wanted to go down as a result of the rejection of God and the wickedness of your heart. 
And I want to be very clear on this. 2 Peter chapter 3 says this, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promises. Some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. You see the beauty of what goes on? Oftentimes, hell gets hijacked because we think it's this idea that God wants to send people there when the reality is that we send ourselves there as a result or a rejection of God. So there's this idea of universalism that oftentimes comes up. You know, there's another thought process that people have brought up. And I'll be honest with you, I kind of I would wish that this would be the, 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 the idea, but there's, there's people who teach what's called annihilationism, if you've ever heard of it. Annihilationism is that at some point in time, all those in hell will just be annihilated. They'll just cease to exist. They'll be destroyed forever. And I'll be honest with you, my human heart sits back and says, man, that sounds like the best option. Almost the merciful side is like, do I really want somebody to suffer eternally? But I want to be very clear that if you look at the scripture metaphorically, and we take eternal metaphorically, then eternity is an eternity, and we can't trust God's word. And eternity is eternity. Matter of fact, in Matthew chapter 25, back to where we, were, we began with, when it comes to verse 46, the same word is used. They will go, to, go away to eternal punishment. Eternal is ionios, and, but the righteous will go away to eternal ionios zoe, which is life. For those who know that Marie and Joe named their daughter Zoe, Zoe actually means eternal life. And there's the beauty of what God sets up. So I want us to see the fourth and the last thing. We said that heaven, or sorry, hell is a real place. We said hell has a purpose. Hell is full of pain and dreadful torment. But I also want to see this, that hell is an avoidable place. Very simply, it's avoidable. Chapter 25, verse 34 he says it this way. Then the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed by my father and take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. What's an inheritance? Did you earn it? It's a gift, right? Romans chapter 3 verse 23 says, for all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 6 23 says, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. And so he says, here, come and take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. Guess what that inheritance is? It is the gift of God. It is the very thing that God offered in Jesus on the cross. See, the simple fact is that misery loves company, and Satan doesn't want to go down and be the only one. As a matter of fact, Satan is the only one who wants you in hell. God doesn't want you in hell. God never desired for you to be in hell. As a matter of fact, that John 10.10, 10, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus came that you may have life more what? Abundant. It's not just life on earth. It's an eternal life. It's this idea. As a matter of fact, I, I, this last week um, with all the snow and not being able to travel as much, I watched this thing on Netflix. It's a six-part documentary on World War II. It's all in color. And you want to talk about the ruthlessness of war. Like, 
Like, like, unless you grew up in World War II, I'm not sure that we understood the collateral damage that went on. Like, I'm watching this, and you realize they go in and they bomb. Like, like the Nazis came in and they bombed Great Britain and they did all these things, killing 80 to 100,000 civilians. And then the allies would go back in and we bomb Berlin and kill 100,000, 180,000 people in one fell swoop. Civilians, not military people. And we grow up in a world right now where military is like, what? what? What is the Geneva Convention and what has the UN done to put rules, right? To put boundaries within war. And I want you to know that Satan doesn't care about boundaries. Collateral damage is Satan's modus operandi. He wants to do everything he can to create the collateral damage in your life so that you choose to reject God's love, to reject God's gift, to not receive the inheritance that God set aside from the beginning, and to walk in to hell with a heavy heart. Skip Heitzig, pastor out in New Mexico, said it this way, and I love it. I love this statement. He, he called it his formula. You're born once, you die twice. If you're born twice, you die once. What that means is that if you're born once, you're going to die, and you're going to face the white throne judgment with God, and you're going to die again for eternal punishment. What Scripture says, though, you're going to be born physically, and then you're born spiritually. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. That's that born twice mentality. And when I'm born twice, I only die once. Why? Because the inheritance that God set aside from the get-go is the very kingdom of God that he created and prepared for you since the creation of the world. So hell is an avoidable place. John chapter 3, verse 16, it's oftentimes one of those verses we throw out, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. But listen to what he also goes on and says in verse 17 because so many times we neglect this whole idea. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. Hell is an avoidable place. Why? Because God sent his son, Jesus Christ, so that you and I would be saved through his death, burial, and resurrection. Jesus, in John chapter 11, says it this way, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? See, the simple fact is this. The reality of hell should break our hearts. It should drop us to our knees in prayer. It should lead us to a proper understanding that God desires nobody to go to hell. But when we allow sin and evil and wickedness to reign in our heart, as Romans chapter 1 says, and we suppress the truth, then the only option for God is as a result of our rejection is to allow us what we wanted in the first place, which was to be away from him. And please make no mistake about it. That's exactly what it is. I go back to that sermon title, Eternity, Smoking or Not. 
And for those of us who grew up in restaurants, when you had a smoking or non-smoking restaurant, you would remember going in and you would say, two, smoking or non? Well, non, of course, right? Or maybe you grew up where your parents smoked. I don't know. And that was your freedom. As a matter of fact, I had friends growing up whose parents didn't smoke, and they'd say, well, we always pick smoking just because we could get in quicker. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, but then I got to be around the smoke. And I grew up in a truck stop where there was no non-smoking and smoking section. You just, everybody smoked in the restaurant. It drove me nuts. Try being a busboy in a restaurant like that. <laughs> I grew up doing that. But here's the reality. Here's the truth. Here's what Scripture says. God does not desire anyone to go to hell. But God's wrath and God's judgment and justice is always right. And if you walk through life rejecting God consistently, why all of a sudden after death do you want God? Why have a desire to be with God when you've rejected him your entire life? And that's exactly what heaven is. Heaven is a place that God created for us with him, to walk with him, to be with him, to worship with him, and hell is not. It's the absence of God, the absence of life, the Bible says that heaven, there's going to be no tears, no crying, no mourning, no weeping. Please hear me out. For those of you who are, are, are born again, you've, you've put your faith and trust in Christ. And sometimes we ask these questions. What about the people in hell? Do you realize when you get to heaven, it's not going to be even on your mind? You want to know why? No weeping, no crying, no pain, no worry, no frustration. If you think all of a sudden that your mind's going to be reminded of those who are in hell, it's not. But right now, our minds should be reminded of it. And so the reality of hell should come to the forefront. And we say, I don't ever want anybody to experience that. Matter of fact, there was a famous comedian who a long time ago said, if you really believe in hell, how could you not? He's not a believer, by the way. If you really believe there's a hell, how could you not tell people about Jesus? So if you're a believer here today, the reality of hell should make us quake. And I would also say that should make us emboldened. That out of love and grace and compassion, we would say, I'd never want anybody to experience that. If you're a person who's never put your faith and trust in Christ, I want to be very simple, very clear on this. I never want to be that pastor who says, I want to scare the hell out of you to where I get scary into heaven. That's not the point of this sermon. The point of the sermon is to deal with reality. According to Scripture, this is what Scripture teaches based upon hell. And it simply re revolves around this. Do you believe that Jesus died on the cross and rose again? Are you willing to confess that with your mouth? I believe that Jesus died on the cross. I believe that, 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 that I'm a sinner, that I believe that Jesus in his grace died on the cross and he rose again for me. If it would have been just you, he went to the cross for you as well as for me. The Bible says if you confess it with your mouth and you believe that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. 
Repentance is the acknowledgement that I'm a sinner and that I need Jesus and I confess him as Lord and Savior. And you can do that today. With every head bowed and every eye closed, just a very simple, simple way. And again, this is not the point. The point of the sermon is not to scare you into heaven or to scare you into faith, but to talk about the reality. If that's you today, you'd say, I, I, I need to put my faith and trust in Jesus for the first time. The lights are down. Would you just simply raise your hand? You want to put your faith and trust in Jesus for the first time, you can do that. You can put your hands down. God, we thank you for the fact that Jesus died on the cross and rose again. We thank you that you sent him to be the example, to show us the way, to sacrifice himself, to die on the cross. But God, we thank you for the resurrection. The resurrection that defeats sin and it defeats death. That when we profess this, that we acknowledge that you are the resurrection of life and that we can walk in the fullness of what we have, knowing that it is an inheritance. It is the gift of God that he has given to us so that we can't boast because it's by grace we are saved through faith, not by works. And so, Lord, we pray that with great expectation and great hope that we would live, whether it's the those who have never placed their faith and trust in Christ, they want to place their faith and trust in Christ the first time, or whether it's those who have been in church for a while, and we just need to be reminded of the reality. God, we pray that we would live with the reality of heaven and hell in our mind, that we would understand your goodness and your grace. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. We're going to close with this song. If you if you are a person who says, hey, I want to, I want to place my faith and trust in Jesus for the first time, I have the lights go ahead and turn up so that you can fill out. We want you to fill out a card. You may want to come up and talk to me. I'll be up here. You may simply say, I, I want to I make it public, but I want to let you know you can talk to me at the end. But please hear me out when I say this. God did not create hell for you and I. But when we reject God, we leave the door wide open to walk into it on our own. 